You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to another episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers and another episode indeed it is as we're doing something a tad bit different today as this this guy's an outlaw and he's, he's very much a gunslinger but uh it's a little different as in it's kind of more like murder basically uh ah hell let's just get into it Howard Unruh He's considered, widely considered to be the first single episode mass murderer in American history. Yes, the first one considered to be uh, taking out multiple bodies at once. So you know this episode is going to be all about the uh, killings on this one, so to speak, if you're, I don't want to say into that kind of thing, because that's kind of weird to say, but if you, if that's your if that's your stuff, you know. Apparently his last name is Unruh. Yeah, it's a little different than our usual Robin Banks and... Uh, robberies and all that good stuff this guy didn't rob anything but people's lives <laughs> in this right. episode this is kind of like a i guess you could consider this episode a a prelude to maybe what we have in mind after we're all done Ooh, with uh yes this series that we're doing here um uh, outlaws and gunslingers so uh i guess that's what you can call it but yeah considered to be the first single episode mass murder in american history because on september 6 1949 he'd snap and eventually kill three pe- 13 people, not three, 13 people in what is now known as the 12-minute death walk. Wow. All right. Well, Unruh, where, where is what it? was his name? Howard Unruh? Is Unruh. That, that's how you said it was pronounced? That's I guess. It's spelled U-N-R-U-H, which would be Unruh to me, but Unruh, I guess, is uh, the Joyman the version? Right? I, I guess. Uh, I guess. Well, Unruh was the son of Samuel Shipley Unruh and Frida E. Vollmer. Sounds German to me. Yeah, he had a younger brother, James. They were raised by their mother after their parents separated. Unruh grew up in East Camden, New Jersey, <laughs> attended Kramer Junior High School, <laughs> and graduated from Woodrow Wilson High School in nice. January of 1939. Well, the Woodrow Wilson High School yearbook from 1939 indicated that he was shy and that his ambition was to become a government employee. Ooh. Look government, at that. Government employee, he would come. Got some high praises for this boy. Mm-hmm. He enlisted in the United States Army, 27th October 1942. And from October 1944 to, to July 1945, saw active service in Rhineland. He was part of the uh, he was part of many armored artillery battles as a tank soldier across Italy, France, Austria, Belgium, and Germany. He toured everywhere. Everywhere. He was awarded the European Theater of Operations Medal. Okay. The Victory Medal. Victory Medal. And the Good Conduct Medal. He was a good conduct. Good conduct. Good conducted soldier, huh? He was remembered by his section chief, Norman E. Cohn. As a first class soldier who never drank, he never swore, he didn't chase the girls, he is smart but quiet. And uh, who spent much time reading his Bible and writing long letters to his mother. Oh, no. Oh, no. That 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 right there, right there. just gives me red flags. All day. Writing long letters to his mother. Mm. Mm. See what kind of mindset this guy's in Got already. Little, uh, uh, Bates action right, going on little, here. A little normie here, huh? It was also cited that he kept meticulous notes on the enemies he killed in battles. Right down to the details of the corpses. Oh, no. But his hobby was guns and his marksmanship. 
uh, noted Cone. His marksmanship was deadly, he noted. He was honorably discharged at the end of the war, after which he returned to New Jersey to live with his <laughs> with mother. His dear mother. So he went back to live mama. with his mother. Live with his mama. This guy's keeping uh, meticulous notes. He probably, right. uh, the way they were laying when they were dead and right. where they, sh- so, I mean, this, so guy, all, this guy's already a freak. Already. Loved battling, probably. Loved the loved killing probably. Oh man! He briefly found work as a sheet metal worker mm. before enrolling at Temple University in Philadelphia in their school of pharmacy, but quit after a month citing poor physical condition as the reason. After which, supported by his mother's income, working in a soap factory, he hung about the oh. house, decorating it with his medals, reading his Bible, and practicing his shooting in the basement, which he turned into a practice range. Nice. So he quit <laughs> going to college. <laughs> He's like, Mama, will you support me? She's like, I only work at a soap factory. He's like, that's fine. I do what I can. People are always going to need soap, right? <laughs> He's like, no, I always soap, have a job. Soap is like doctors. <laughs> They're never going to run out of business. All right. Oh, Jesus. So this dude mama's just boy hanging around the house, through, dude. decorating his medals. Decorating oh, the house with, with his, his medals. medals, right. I mean, he's just hanging. <laughs> his mom comes in the house one day. One of the pictures are gone, and it's his medal hanging there. She's like, oh, damn it, Howard, I told, I told you to you. stop taking pictures of daddy off the wall. These are nice medals and all, but it's kind of tacky <laughs> right, on the right. wall. <laughs> right. I mean, geez, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> you have a room. <laughs> right, well, pl- proudly displayed on a shelf. Right, or yeah, or like we'll, we'll frame it or something. Right. Like, you can just have a metal on a ribbon hanging on the wall, no. dude. I mean, come on. Where a picture used to be. Jeez, right. <laughs> it was around this time that his relations with his neighbors began to deteriorate. Oh, no. Why? And his resentment grew over what he regarded as quote unquote derogatory remarks made about my character. Oh, I think he's just a weird son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Well, just, he had, just as he had during the war. Unruh started to keep a diary, this time not about the death tally of German German soldiers, but a list of the petty grievances he had against his neighbors. Oh, so now he's like, he's writing down every every negative thing every one of his neighbors said to him. Now he's like, mm. well, these diary entries were invariably followed by cryptic notes such as R-E-T-W-T-S, which is an abbreviation for retaliate when time suitable. Hey. And D-N-D-R, which is do not delay retaliation. Uh-huh. He was obsessed with the idea of retaliation. The word itself appears close to 200 times in his diary. You gotta retaliate. If gotta I don't retaliate, retaliate, what am I gonna do? Right. You gotta I, retaliate. Can't, I can't let them uh, make me out to be some little punk or something. Right. Mm-hmm. The evening prior to the killings, he went to a movie theater in Philly, where he sat through several hours before returning home. Oh, several shows. Right. <laughs> yeah, where he sat through several shows before returning home at about 3 a.m. Watching movies till 3 o'clock in the morning? And just Friday night, he watched them. Probably just thinking, what is he going to do? He had gone to the theater to meet a homosexual man for a date. <laughs> there, there, it is. there it is. There guy. it is. But was, how how do they know this? He, he says it. But was delayed. There's, uh, before we go any further, since Dane just brought that up, there's like literally, you go look up at this guy, there was too much to, but the, um, they had a whole conversation with the guy after he got arrested and it's it, it could be a whole another episode of what he said his life was like uh, he describes all of it but it's obviously too much for this episode so huh but yeah that's this guy's yeah you'll see anyway he was supposed to meet a, a guy there for a date but was delayed and the man was gone by the time he arrived mm. 
upon his return home, the gate. Well, imagine being that guy. He got stood up. He, right. He's thinking. So now he's like, oh, uh, he's pissed. Mm-hmm. Upon his return now, home, who right. knows? He could have been the one that committed the murders. Right. When he got well, home, not these murders. Right. But, you know, <laughs> I just keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, see, the thing is, you got to think about the guy that was. <laughs> right. Anyway, upon his upon his return home, the gate he had installed that day had been removed. Oh no! Ba-ba-ba-ba. Imagine this dude. He thought he was going to go get some ass. He right. goes there. The guy's gone. Now the gate he just installed that day is removed when he comes back at 3 right. in the morning. Mm. Mm. Well, it was the following morning that he decided to commit the rampage. Mm-hmm. Rampage. Both his brother James and his father Samuel indicated that Howard's wartime experiences had changed him. Mm. So they it made him moody, nervous, and detached. Although James also pointed to the ongoing feud his brother had been having with his neighbor, the pharmacist Maurice Cohen as a possible trigger for the killing spree. Oh, wow. Mm. For several months, he had been engaged in a dispute with Cohen relating to the use of the pharmacist's backyard as a means of access to his apartment. Ah. Oh, so Cohen's one of those guys. Don't you come to my yard? We're going to walk to my backyard. Get... Dude, it's a lot easier if I'm over here. Right. Just... Why would I go all the way around the block? Come well, on. I could just use your backyard. Don't be a dick, uh... Cohen. Don't be a dick, Cohen. Well, unfortunately for Cohen, as well as him, he planned to kill John oh, Polarchik, no. who was a shoemaker in the town, Clark Hoover, who was the barber of the town, and Thomas Zagrino, who was the tailor of the town. Oh, so, so these guys are probably all in a group making fun of him. All right. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. Well, Howard left a note for his mother instructing her to wake him at 8 a.m. He ate breakfast prepared by his mother and then spent time in the basement. Which he converted into a shooting range. Which he established already, right? right? So well, my thing there, though, how, is he, he, how does he convert a basement into a shooting range and nobody's, like, hearing that or right. nobody's calling? He, he lives in an apartment, first of all. He has to have some way to... Nobody's uh, like, hey, this guy keeps shooting, like, all the time <laughs> at night. Like, what? Can we do something about this or Never what? runs out of ammo. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps Not shooting. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. At about 9.15, his mother walked into the living room where Howard was listening to the radio. Mm. Howard turned towards his mother with a wrench raised over his head. She oh, immediately no. backed up and said, Howard, you can't do this to me. While he stood there with a blank stare, she ran out of the house to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. About 9.20 a.m., armed with his Luger P08 eight-round magazine and more ammunition stored in his pockets, he left his apartment and walked out onto River Road. <sighs> Bad things about to happen here. Bad things about to happen. Well, Howard first walked by a bread delivery truck at the corner of Harrison and 32nd Street. He shoved his pistol through the door and shot at the driver. The driver would then say, well, he would later say, he missed me by inches. Mm. I was seated in my bread truck going over my records, and he walked up and shoved a pistol through the door at me. I thought it was a holdup. I tumbled into the back of my truck among the, among the bread boxes. He fired one shot, and thank God it missed me. Right. Well, the bread man saw the two... He saw two children playing in the road, so he grabbed them and hid in the truck. He then drove down the road to warn others, but unfortunately, way too late. Whoa. Way too late. Well, Howard walked along 32nd Street back toward the building where he lived on the second floor. Entering a shoe repair shop, he aimed the gun at 27-year-old John Pillarchick. Howard walked within a yard of him and fired twice. Mm. A little boy ran for cover behind the counter, but the shooter ignored him. Howard, that is. Howard's the shooter. He now had his first kill of the day. There's his first kill. With one bullet in the man's stomach and another one in his head. Jeez. Unlike the bread man, the shoemaker has been lost on his list. (sighs) It's just death and destruction from here on out, guys. Just 
bear bear with us because uh, oh, no, no, yeah, uh, it's yeah. all you're going to hear from this from the end of the episode pretty much. And some of it's not too, uh, I mean, as it is with murderers and these kind of fucking psychos. Freaking, I'm going to say that for there. These kind of psychos. Um, yeah. Cause, uh, so the bread man, he w- I mean, if he would have killed him, we would kill him, but not, not, you know, just a. He didn't care. He just. Right. But this old guy, this guy here, he's on the list. He's on the list. He made that list. And when you're on that list, you have to be crossed out. It's like, my name is Earl. He, he made that karma list. He had. <laughs> I, I got to do my little... list. I got to do my list, Randy. <laughs> I think it's a little, little, uh, <laughs> little different than uh, no, real. No. <laughs> no, I think it's probably right. Well. By this time, people heard the shots, but most dismissed them as a car backfiring or even people shooting rats at the by the river. Hey, happens all the time. They're like, hey, man, this common stuff around here. Next door to the shoe shop was Clark Hoover's barber shop. Oh, Jesus! Well, right Howard there, entered. Down the line. Yep. Howard entered the barber shop, and Hoover, who was thirty-three, was cutting the hair of Ora Smith, a six-year-old boy sitting on a white carousel horse. His mama, Catherine Smith, sat nearby watching. Howard took aim and said, "I got something for you, Clarky." The barber tried to shield the boy, but he was too slow. The first bullet hit the boy in the head from oh. a short distance, and the second one killed Hoover. Oh. Both of them dropped to the floor. The shooter left the woman alone to cry out for help. Damn. Two other children who had been in the shop went screaming in the street, but the he, Howard's oblivious right. of it. He don't even care. He don't even know what's going so on. So much so that even when Catherine carried her son into the street shouting, My boy is dead. I know he's dead. Oh, yeah. He had no reaction. He just kept moving on yeah. to his targets. This man. guy is just... No matter what's happening, he's focused. He's focused on killing. Wow. That's just... He's just like... He's like Michael Myers. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, right. this is what this is, yeah. Right. It's crazy. There's no reaction just going in and... Except for he's talking. So... Well, still. Right. These people are right by him when they're running out of the shop, and he's still... Just, don't care. Right, because if he was like a crazy murderer, he'd be killing all these sons of bitches. Right. Obviously, uh... He's like, well, the boy got hit. The what boy was... Do? I mean, uh, Clarky was Sorry. right there. I mean, the boy is just an innocent casualty. Sometimes right. that happens in war. Happens, yeah. Uh, passing a group of kids who ran for cover, the shooter shot at a boy watching him from a window, but he missed. Not probably on purpose. He headed towards the tavern, but the door was locked, so he shot two bullets in it. Inside, customers cowered behind the bar. The tavern owner, Frank Engel, rushed up to the steps to retrieve his 38 caliber pistol. Next, Howard tried to get in into a locked restaurant without success. He then reloaded and then turned his attention to his most hated targets, the Coens. The next door neighbor, Coens. Oh, no. Uh, he finally, finally is going to go to these guys, huh? Right. He didn't want to put too much effort into these. If he can, he can come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's got to get to these guys quick. <clears throat> well, the Coens own a drugstore on the corner. As he's about to enter the drugstore, a man he knew well, who was an insurance agent, which was actually his insurance agent, oh. named James Hutton, he came out of the door. Hutton greeted the shooter, who politely said, excuse me, sir. Hutton did not move fast enough, so he received his own fatal bullet oh, in the head. no. Hey, man, you, you, you're walking in the path of a, <coughs> uh, a right. enraged gunman. You better move when he says, excuse me. Hey, Howard, on, excuse dude. me. I said, excuse me. Yeah, Howard said, excuse me. Yeah, Howard. Right. Yeah. And the guy didn't move out of his mm-hmm. way fast enough, so he got a bullet to the freaking head. Dude. I'm on a mission, bud. You're in my way. Do? Right. Howard went to the pharmacy and saw Maurice Cohen and his wife, Rose, run up the steps to their apartment. He was like, I know where you're going. He followed them, watching Rose try to hide in a bedroom closet uh, and firing three times through the door. He then opened it and shot her in the head. Geez. Oh, jeez. 
Then he walked through the apartment until he found uh, Maurice's elderly mother. Oh, no. 63-year-old on the telephone calling the police. He killed her with two shots where she stood. But had no time to watch her slump to the bed because Maurice had jumped out a window onto a porch. Onto a porch's roof. Wow. Well, Howard leaned out and hit him with a bullet, wounded him badly enough to send him off the roof to the sidewalk below. Oh. He had no time to recover because Howard jumped down the steps and came out to the street. Jeez. Where he put another fatal bullet right into his head and uh, eliminated Maurice. Maurice died on the street. But one good thing was that he succeeded at saving one person in the house, which was his 12-year-old son, uh, who was hidden in a closet upstairs Jeez, before this all began. Pete. So. Wow. This dude is just on the rampage. 12 minutes, dude. All this is happening in 12 minutes. Quick. Nearby, Mrs. Harry and her 16-year-old son, Armand, were hanging clothing on a clothesline. Mm. Mrs. Harry went inside, and the shooter entered her house. Her son ran in and said that the man shot at them five times, wounding them both in the arm. Both of them got an arm wound. Then he tried smacking Armand with the butt of the empty pistol, but before anyone could stop him, he left. I'm just like, yeah, I ain't gonna work this. Right. This, this is not on my agenda here. I still got more people on my list. Right. He now has killed. Yeah, he's like, all right, hold on. I got focused again. Right. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like nah, getting right. a little bit of getting the best of me here. Let's <laughs> right. just pause. We got like three more people. We gotta go here. Okay. He's like, we got nine people and I killed seven. Shot nine of them, killing seven. Dude, he's got seven bodies on his count right now. Mm. Man, there's more to come. There's more to come, because circling back, he walked down 32nd Street along the side of the pharmacy and encountered a motorist, Alvin Day, who had slowed down near the body of James Hutton, which was the dead insurance agent. Right. That was his uh, mistake right there, because Howard leaned into his car and killed him, leaving the car to stall and roll into the curb. Oh, wow. He then went over to another car that was stopped at a light across the street. He shot through the windshield, killing the female driver and her mother, and wounding a 12-year-old boy in the back seat with a bullet through his neck, who would Uh, eventually die at the hospital later. Of course he would. See, see. That is just ridiculous. This is the thing about this guy so far. He's got a list of specific people that he wants to kill, but some people he don't. They're running right next to him. He's not taking shots at him. But then there's some people like these innocent drivers. Right. They're just there. And he's like, hey, you guys are next in line to the people I'm going to. So right. you guys are next. So, ooh, this is uh, uh, craziness. Wow. Tavern owner Frank Engel leaned out a window and shot at the retreating Howard with his own pistol. He thought he had hit him in a thigh because he paused but had not slowed him down. He's like, I think I hit him, but I don't know. Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know. He just kept walking. All right. Engel could have fired again and killed him, but he refrained. Mm. Later, you say, I could have put a dozen shots into him. I don't know why I didn't do it. I wish I had. Ooh, imagine, it's one thing. Imagine being him. One thing to wish you could have done something. Right. Imagine being him for the rest of his life. I there, was huh? there. I was right Well, there. unfortunately for Engel, Howard wasn't finished yet because he went into the tailor shop, which was owned by Thomas Zagrino. Who right. was on his list as, as well, but Zagrino was not in the shop, but unfortunately, his, his young, wife innocent wife was. Oh, no. The tailor's wife, Helga, who had been married to him for only three weeks, got on her knees and begged, oh, my God, don't. Then she screamed so loudly that people in the buildings across the street could hear her. Without mercy, the shooter pointed his gun and shot her. Oh, man. Then he left and went strolling down the street. By that time, a man who had been in a line behind cars and to which the maniac had fired the, his gun into had driven to the nearest fire station on 27th Street, six blocks away, to raise an alarm. Oh, shit. Mm, too late now. Wow. 
Howard next went to a food store. He found the door locked and fired through it, failing to injure anyone inside. He then shot at someone through an apartment window, instantly killing a two-year-old Thomas Hamilton, who would be his last victim. The child's caregiver, Irene Rice, collapsed upon witnessing the shooting and was, re- and was treated for severe shock. Of course she was. Jeez, dude. Howard would later claim that he didn't know who he saw in the window or whether he hit them. Howard then fired at several other people across the street, missing them. So this dude is now just going crazy. He thinks everybody is... Uh, He's just now shooting. He went. He had a, a plan and was sticking to it at first. And then his like war memories and all that came back and everybody. Anybody that's there now. Right. Well, he attempted once more to get into a restaurant that stood at the end of River Road near Bergen Street, but failed. So as sirens began to wail from a distance, he went around the back. He ran around to the back and finally came home to his apartment. He'd been roaming around for less than 15 minutes, was running low on ammunition. He simply said, I ran out of bullets. So I went home. home. Oh, my. Wow. By this time, the police Crazy. were racing toward the scene, having run into it or been called to the massacre. Mm-hmm. But the shooter reached his apartment first. He barricaded the door and reloaded. He's One got, officer you found know we got. It, right? he, you know how much ammo he's got in his uh, house. All right. One officer found a boy running in the street who turned out to be uh, Charles Cohen, oh. the boy who had been spared by being shoved into the closet at his home. Jeez. He had nearly suffocated, he said, and finally kicked open the door to get out. He remembered watching his grandmother fall just as the door closed and that he had heard screams and shooting. He was taken to the home of the re- of a relative. Damn, dude. Imagine being that little 12-year-old boy. All, all your family members just got gunned down. <sighs> and this crazy son bitch still running amok. Well, he's in the house right now. People had now identified the rampaging shooter to the first arriving officers as Howard Unruh. We knew who that is. Right? right. We know who he is. He's a 28-year-old recluse and religious nut, quote-unquote. Oh, wow. All available, all available police reserves were dispatched. None had ever dealt with such an incident before. That is nuts. Ironically, Unruh's name in German meant literally unrest. unrest. Oh, so, wow. Getting ironic and more ironic. Right. About 50 to 60 police officers surrounded the two-story gray stucco building that housed Howard's apartment at 3202 River Road, behind and next to the Cohen's pharmacy residence. So the pharmacy and the Cohen's residence, so they're all right there. Right there, man. It's a block. Right. Howard was barricaded inside, and he shot at them from a window. From a number of victims, the police believed they were dealing with more than one killer. Right. In 12 minutes, this dude took 13 lives. I mean, there's got to be like, more than one guy, like you would think, right? Six guys up there, there's man. Be at least two we or three. Old, right. We got a whole group of them. They armed themselves with rifles and machine guns, the police did. Jeez. For a time, the road was a state of confusion with people in the milling crowd uh, getting in the line of fire. Jeez. <laughs> oh, the police shot into the apartment in what reporters called a rain of gunfire. Intended to drive the shooter out or to kill him, obviously. Right. Pedestrians formed a ring around the area, and within a ring half hour, Rosie, they, they, and they said, ring send, around, they ring said around, send Howard Unruh on out. Ring around Howard, easy. <laughs> <laughs> and within a half hour, more than a 1,000 people were watching. Several marksmen on the roof of a nearby shed tried to get a clear shot into the room from which the suspect himself was shooting. Oh, no. But, uh... Didn't happen. However, one officer did shout they had hit the man. I Uh-oh. don't think it happened, though. Wow. Meanwhile, the bodies of the dead and the wounded were removed to Cooper Hospital. Okay. And some officers were collecting stories from eyewitnesses at, as the shooting's going on. Right. So we got multiple things going on here. One woman suffering from shock and a man who had injured his leg trying to escape or also rushed to the hospital. Holy shit. Jeez. Wow. Howard's mother, Frida, had returned home around, around this time just after 10 a.m., 
when she saw the police barricade and heard spectators talking excitedly about what had occurred. She knew it was about O. Howard. She said, She knew it. Damn it, Howard, what you do now? Mm-hmm. And she wandered off in a daze. She was like, No, <laughs> not my baby. She finally made her way to uh finally made her way or was taken to the home of her sister five blocks away. Who found a doctor to treat her and who kept the breaking details of the story from her? So they're mm, like, just don't have, let her know what's right, going on. She would have a mental breakdown, bro. She's on the brink of yeah, mm, of going insane. Right. It was the sister's opinion that this had all been caused by the terrible experiences that little Howie had suffered during his three years in the war. Oh yeah, let's blame the it's war. Of the huh? Damn war! I'm it's telling you, damn war! I told you not to let him sign up, Frida. <laughs> shut up! You yeah. shut up right now! How do you feel now? You're about to go insane, you dumb cunt! <laughs> you shut up right now! Howard's killing multiple people out there. You hear that you shit? You shut your mouth right now! The, the helicopters and gunfire, that's all because you're for him! That's for him! You shut up right now! Hey, you stop it! <laughs> Little Howard's it's beautiful boy! <laughs> <laughs> well... Reporters by now were aware of the events, and Philip W. Buxton, who was an assistant city editor of the Camden Even Courier, looked up Unruh's <laughs> phone number, um, Cameron, Camden 4-2490W, and called the home. Right. To his surprise, Unruh answered with a calm voice. Wow. And the conversation goes as follows. Uh, is this Howard Unruh? Bus- Buxton asked. 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 Yes, this is Howard. What's the last name of the party you want? Unruh, the editor told him. Who are you? Unruh demanded to know. What do you want? Buxton could hear the sound of bullets coming through the window, breaking glass. He identified himself as a friend and then asked, What are they doing to you? (sighs) Howard says, They haven't done nothing to me yet, but I'm doing plenty to them. Hmm. How many have you killed? I don't know yet. I haven't counted them, but it looks like a pretty good score. Oh, jeez. The editor then wanted to know why he was killing people. He says, I don't know. I can't answer that yet. I'm too busy. I'll have to talk to you later. A couple of friends are coming to get me. He slammed down the phone. Uh, mm. hmm. So this dude's clearly not in his right mind clearly. at this point. Like, what the hell's going on here? Answering the phone's like, oh, there's a reason all this is happening. But as of Looks right like now. a pretty good body count, though. I did, <laughs> I did kill a lot of people. I can't let you know details right now. Right, maybe. I'm a little get a hold of me. Right. Right. I'm a, hey, you hear that? <laughs> you hear that background noise? Kind of busy here, bud. You just wait till that to stop and then maybe give me a call. <laughs> maybe, you know, we could set it up later. We may eat some dinner. I like pork. <laughs> macaroni. Right. Something. Pork and macaroni. Some applesauce. <laughs> To get him to leave the apartment, the detectives on the roof got close enough uh, to lob a canister of tear gas through his broken bedroom window. Mm. It provided it to be a dud, it though. It provided to be. <laughs> it proved to be a dud, though. It proved and to like, be, yeah. Well, that didn't it work. It provided and proved to be <laughs> right. a dud. Which alerted Henry, or Howard, to uh, to their strategy. He's like, I know what they're trying to do. Right. But that one was a dud. So he's like, I'm going to go into the other room. I'm going to go into this other room. They don't even know I'm there until I shoot from him. <laughs> As they returned, they tossed in a second canister, and the place slowly filled with stinging gas. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if he's in another room. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to get there sooner right. or later. It took another five minutes, but finally Howard moved aside the white curtain upstairs, looked out, and said, okay, I give up. I'm coming down. Where's the gun? The sergeant yelled up to him. It's on my desk up here in the room. I'm coming down. Howard said. He came out the door unarmed with three dozen guns trained on him and surrendered without a word to motorcycle officer Charles Hance. I can't believe they didn't murder him. Mm. That's crazy that well, they didn't murder he's him. He's a white man. White yeah, privilege. He wasn't, wasn't black. Right. right. 45 minutes after he had taken his first shot, Unruh was ushered through the angry crowd who swore at him and called for a lynching. Mm. Better watch out. 
They will still lynch your ass back then. Mm-hmm. Then he went into a police car and was driven away. Oh, driven away. One observer murmured, you got to watch some quiet ones. Mm-hmm. The police themselves did not comprehend the killer's motives. They had never dealt with such an incident before. Right. They didn't know what. One is... officer asked Howard, he said, what's the matter with you? Matter Are you with psycho? You? Are you psycho? I'm no psycho, Unruh insisted. I have a good mind. Hmm. 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 Did he? Well, detectives found an apartment filled with what was described as an arsenal of weapons, guns with our weapons, right. knives with our weapons, <laughs> bullet-making equipment, weapons. and more than 700 <laughs> rounds. Weapons. <laughs> so they found, a, they found an, an arsenal, arsenal of weapons. weapons. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, and uh, in a drawer, there were several marksmanship medals. Obviously. And his basement was Howard's target range. Yes. On a table was a Bible that was open to Matthew chapter 24. Mm. Police found books relating to sex hygiene. That's a weird guy. Well, now under police interrogation, interrogation, Howard gave a meticulous account of his actions, which was later released by Camden County Prosecutor Mitchell Cohen. Nice. Only at the end of this interrogation did did police discover that he had a bullet wound in his left eye? Oh. He was subsequently taken to Cooper Hospital for treatment. So that uh, means that uh, that uh, the right. uh, tavern owner got him right. shooting at he him. He did right? get him. Well, when he was able to leave Cooper Hospital, he was sent to New Jersey Hospital for the Insane, which is now right. the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital, to be installed into a bed in a private cell in the maximum security vroom, vroom, right. V-R-O-O-M building. So basically, he was, vroom building. He's, he's tied up, basically. The whole time. Padded walls and everything. Yeah. No jacket and all that good stuff. The prosecutor emphasized that the killer had not been declared insane. He sure hasn't yet. But that he would be receiving tests to determine his state of mind. It was not an involuntary admission by the court, but a voluntary agreement that four four psychiatrists had recommended and Howard had accepted. Mm Mm-hmm. He has to be subjected to further study and observation. He's like, there's something wrong with me. Right, he's like, something just triggered me to right. do all this stuff. You know, maybe I should get evaluated. Right, hey, guys, see, you can just send me here, and they can do whatever they need right. to do. Right, well, since he would need bed rest for at least two weeks anyway, the prosecutor had no reservations about leaving him in the hands of psychiatrists. Right. It will benefit all concerned, he said. It's true. We will get the full and complete results of all of uh, of all the possible studies we can have. He filed the charges for 13 Quote, unquote, willful and malicious slayings with malice afterthought. Oh. And three counts of atrocious, atrocious, atrocious assault and battery, which I would assume is the, um. All right. The Coens. All right. So, uh, yeah. Wow. It was Either a, way, he's right. in life in prison or life in the psychiatric ward. Something he never going to be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a Friday morning. It was the 9th of September. Frida Howard's mother learned from her estranged husband the full facts of her son's fate. Uh-oh. Howard, poor Howard, oh, she her, cried. Look at her. Look at her. Right. Just, she's the enabler here. Right. I blame her. Right. He didn't know what he was doing. Oh, please. He knew damn well what he was mm. doing. She fainted before she had heard all the details. Then she worried that the hospital would not have enough handkerchiefs for Howard's hay fever. Exactly tells you what you need to know right there. Right. The mother is an enabler, and an a enabler. she's the one that made him into what he is now. It's pathetic. Right. Jailer. Mm. <laughs> well, soon there were rumors that two of the four psychiatrists had determined that Unruh was ins- was was sane. He's very not sane. insane. This guy was very smart, intellectual. had had a good good conversation with him. He appears cognizant of his surroundings. One said, "Well, right. uh, Doctor Gene Cavelli said, who is a Camden area physician and knows right between wrong." 
Mm. He knows between right and wrong. Right. Uh, but he added that himself was not a psychiatrist. He's like, but hey, don't take it from me. I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> he's just a physician. Right. Not a psychiatrist. He's right. <laughs> like, it's in my, it's in my <laughs> medical opinion that he, he knows right between wrong. But I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> right. so, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing further was forthcoming. They expected the test to last more than a month. Okay. Mm. Wow. At the hospital, Dr. Robert S. Garber, assistant superintendent, and Dr. James Bradley began their assessments. Attended by the prosecutor and several detectives, news photographers, photographers. <laughs> you said it right that time. All right. News, news photographers were permitted to enter the isolation cell for pictures. So, like, go ahead and take a few pictures, but not too many, and be quiet and just move along, right? Uh, Howard submitted without expression, although he turned his head when they asked it. <laughs> so he's just standing Howard, there. can you turn no, your head to a little no, bit? No expression on his face. Right. And then he's like, Howard, turn your head. He's like, mm, uh, I guess. Right. That's sad news right <clears throat> there. Exploitation. Come on. Well, reportedly, Howard was surprised by the treatment he received. And he even said, it is certainly a lot better than I deserve. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> right. I guess. He expressed some remorse over dropping out of pharmacy courses because he would have <laughs> devoted his life to saving lives. Right. And not more than <laughs> Not one person records him feeling badly about the victims, though. That war messed him up. I'm guaranteeing you that war. During he was the, already a weird soul right. beginning, but that war took that. It was the next step. It, it elevated it. Right. During the testing, the relative of the boy who had recently died showed up in the doorway of Har- Howard's cell. He said, I'm going to get him. And he tried to rush inside, but the police guards restrained him and took him out. Hmm. Mm. Should, Doc- just, should just right. let him kill him. Right. Dr. Edward Strecker of the Medical School University of Pennsylvania and a consultant for the armed services. He told reporters that war does not cause an increase in the number of actual cases of insanity. Uh, does not. Here we go. Mm, this guy's wrong. Right. Strucker believed that Howard's illness must have built up over the years. I mean, that part, it's somewhat true, yeah. I think the people that actually get these PTSDs or whatever you want to call it, they already have some sort of mental issue, dude, and that just triggers it to go even more. I believe that part. I don't know, or maybe it's seeing... Uh Right, Your friend's head's getting blown off right in front of you, and you having to yeah. But the reports were that he was, he was a, I mean, that would drive anybody. He was a quiet soldier anyway. Yeah, that is there. true, but right. I mean, come on. And then to, seeing the murders, say that, actual seeing the murders, to, to and was say, allowed to do it to say that war doesn't but, cause some some psychological change in somebody. It's just yeah. horseshit. It's just horseshit. Right, but this it's guy horseshit. already had a, a mind of it. I mean, and then, I get that. But this and then guy, when, but when this, he got to actually kill people and get away with it. But this guy's clearly you know I mean? saying that war does not increase the number of actual cases of insanity. I don't know. I think uh, that's a little bit false. Oh, no, that is false for sure. But in this case here, it just triggered it more. I mean, right. Yeah. War does a lot to a person's mind. Well, anyway, the war had simply provided the opportunity to learn the weapons, he says. Although he had not examined Howard himself. <laughs> here we go. Another hearsay. I'm not a psychiatrist. He's like, it's, 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 a, it's a simple case of going gun crazy. You know, once he started shooting, he was like, I like this, and blah, 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 which, blah. Which is kind of evidence than what we've seen, because he did shoot. Right. A lot of people that weren't on his list he just did get by little, looking out the he, window or something. He did you get know, a little so. gun, gun, gun crazy I guess there. he did. Well, another psychiatrist, unidentified, thought that uh, Howard's overtly religious character might have given him a savior complex. Nah, I don't think so. And when he saw that he had failed to save the world, he reacted. I don't think so. That's not it at all. Well, while they, we, they, while they awaited the official results, reporters looked around for earlier signs of Howard's mental instability. 
The Woodrow Wilson High School yearbook from 1939 indicated that he was shy and that his ambition was to become a government employee, which we said. Right. Uh, they called him Howe. They called him Howe. Really? I don't know what that means. Right. Uh, a check of his records reveals B's and C's for things like health, courtesy, and personal impression. Huh. And there was no evaluation of, intel- of his intelligence, but his mental alertness was average. He just this wasn't was an average social. student. He just wasn't social. Right. He wasn't a average social, student, outgoing man. kid, mm. you know, that you're constantly yelling at all the time to right. fooling around He's and shit. He's an average kid, man. Right. After two months of personality and uh, psychological tests, the assessment was concluded. Concluded. And the final diagnosis was dementia precox. Mixed type with pronounced. What? The final diagnosis was dementia precox. Mixed type with pronounced ketonic and paranoid coloring. Mm. So this guy is just, he's, yeah, he's, he's freaking PTSD, right? Right? No. Pretty much what it is. Dementia, he's losing his mind. Right. If you just read here, Howard was a paranoid schizophrenic, huh? Mm. Caught in a world of his own delusions and separated from reality. His mm. mental illness had come upon him slowly and was not caused by combat. It was. Oh, that's what they say. Wise. It, was, it might have not been caused. It was triggered it by not, it. Yeah, it was not, but might not have been caused, but it, uh, the, it helped. The war it definitely helped. released. Well, <laughs> he would never. He would never seen a murder. He was probably. He or, was likely. He was likely a schizophrenic type person right. before he went to the war. But after the war, that released even more. The murdering part, at least, he would never seen a murdered soul or, or never murdered anybody. I don't believe. Well, maybe because going to war and actually be able to do it for, for legally, legally, right? <laughs> that just yeah. Uh, yes, I mean, well. Nevertheless, pronounced insane, he was immune from criminal prosecution, but was sentenced for the remainder of his life to the Vroom Building, which is the unit for the criminally insane. He remained incarcerated there for the rest of his life until his death in 2009. Oh, he lived that long. He lived forever. Dead. Howard's last public words, which were made during an interview with a psychologist, were, I'd have killed a thousand if I had enough bullets. He probably would have. And that right there tells you that he should have been locked up in a prison and not a damn right, uh, mental health. Because he's place. still nuts. He knows he's exactly still, what he's doing. He never, never was remorseful for what he did. No. And still, sixty years later, right. forty years later, whatever it is, fifty years later, I would have killed a thousand if I had enough bullets. Like, get the hell out of here! Wow, crazy. Howard killed thirteen and injured three. Those killed and their ages are listed here. John Joseph Pilichick, twenty-seven years old. Oris Martin Smith, six years old. Clark Hoover, 45 years old. James Hutton, 46 years old. Rose Cohen, 38 years old. Minnie Cohen, 63 years old. Dr. Maurice J. Cohen, 39 years old. Elvin Day, 24 years old. Thomas Hamilton, two years old. Helga Kodzak Zagrino, 28 years old. Emma Matlack, 68 years old. Helen Wilson, 37 years old, and John Wilson, nine years old. Hmm. That's heavy when you read it out like that. It's crazy. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Well, Maurice and Rose Cohen's son, Charles, who was the one that survived uh, in the closet, um, he lived from January 31st, 1937, to September 4th, 2009. He was the maternal grandfather of Carly Novell, who survived the uh, February 14, 2008 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, 2018, right? Right. Um, Parkland. At, at wow. Parkland. No shit. She survived that by hiding in a closet like her grandfather did in 1949. Oh no shit. 
Charles Cohen died at the age of 72 on September 4th, 2009, and buried two days later at September 4th, 2009, during the 60th anniversary of the murder and just one month before um, Howard died. So, huh. Wow. So that was like a real-life uh, Michael Myers thing there. Dude. Real-life Michael Myers thing there, and the survivors all died around the same time with the killer. Some crazy stuff there, but that has to be the single most craziest um, right episode we've done so far. That's nuts. This that... dude in twelve minutes walked up and down the block, shooting and murdering and killing. It didn't matter from two years old to sixty-eight years old. Right, whoever was there, whoever was there is getting pumped full of lead. Crazy stuff pretty heavy episode <laughs> i mean uh, i don't know i don't know if uh that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be doing in our in our spinoff here man it's pretty just, just, that's, just like that that's a pretty heavy episode because <laughs> that's rough details and rough. Like, stuff like that dude that's totally different than I mean, uh totally different than it's not for everybody totally different than robbing a bank and getting <laughs> right. in a shootout with I mean, you know I mean, it's the same thing I mean, it's not people are getting shot in the head no, and shit right there no, come on is, come on this is like <laughs> That's like a wow. That's all I'm gonna say about that. He's and, definitely, um, he that, definitely falls under the term gunslinger. He is a definitely he's a guy was slinging sling, them guns. He sling, <laughs> he sling that gun. He sure and hell did. With, with that being said, I don't think there's much more you can say about this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week for we don't know yet. I don't think it'll be another mass murder like this though. That's <laughs> fucking for sure. Howard Unruh. Um, fucking Howard Unruh broke us. <laughs> heavy, heavy episode here. Uh, we'll be back next week with the uh, Mouth of Michiganders with scared, <laughs> <laughs> scared and dang, <laughs> uh, bang, scared dang, yeah. and feared. <laughs> right.